Hello, welcome to Bride Body Family Temple, where we talk about all things church and what it means to be the people of God before a watching world. Uh, recording with me today, we got Mr. Matt Rao. Hey, what's up? Mark Russell. What's going on? And for the first time, uh, guest today, we have Mr. Cam Wolford. Hello. Uh, Cam is uh, uh, the director of uh, um, Servant Leaders International, and we're going to talk a little bit about his ministry today and uh, what God is doing through that uh, as we kind of talk about all things church. Cam has just uh, spent the morning with us here on a Friday with the interns and talking a little bit about about what they do um, around the world and uh, helping grow healthy churches and helping churches plant churches. And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. But Cam, it's good to have you. Good to have you with us. Yeah, great to be here. Okay. Um, if you want to, just uh, you can just kind of start just kind of high level, just a little bit of your story and uh, how you came to know the Lord. And then we'll get into just kind of how you uh, um, how you ended up where you're at today okay. in this current season. Great. So I was raised in New England, southern New Hampshire, uh, raised Roman Catholic. My uh, Both my parents came to Christ later in life in their mid to late 30s. Um, and then my dad felt immediately called to uh, ministry, moved our family to northeastern Pennsylvania where he could <clears throat> excuse me, conduct ministry or seminary and learn how to do ministry. And uh, during that time period, I went along, uh, was not a, a believer, but later on, two years later at the age of 17, came to an understanding of my need for Jesus. And so at that point in time, felt this draw towards something more. Um, I felt this need to become involved in ministry, something that was different than obviously the the previous years and watching my dad sacrifice and uh, what he was preparing for. I began to ask questions. And so I joined a team that uh, took a trip uh, for a summer ministry in Argentina and in Peru. And so through the my time there, God really began to tug at my heart that um, international mission, something that was a new concept to me, was quite possibly for me. So I came back, uh, graduated, and uh, went to Bible college. And in Bible college, I had the opportunity to spend a year internship my junior year in southern Ecuador. Uh, through that internship, I uh, was partially in, in Lima, Peru, and in southern Ecuador. God really pulled uh, again in my heart and affirmed a, a call to to mission. So I came back, uh, got married, and began the process to become a, a full-time missionary church planter in Ecuador. So that was 1992. Okay. 1995, my wife and I began to travel for two years to raise support. It took us two years. Went to language school. Uh, previous to that, we were church planters in uh, southwest Michigan while I worked full-time to pay off my school debts. Um, we raised the funds, moved to the border of Mexico, studied uh, Spanish, and then moved to Ecuador as church planters in southern Ecuador. In Ecuador, I was involved in three church plants over a little bit more than 10 years, okay. um, and then moved to Costa Rica and church planted in Costa Rica. And during that time, really began to uh, question the models and the way we were doing things, and out of that, Servant Leaders was born. Okay, and what, what year was that when Servant Leaders officially... 2014 unofficially, 2016 officially. Officially, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Um, and along the way there, uh, had a couple kids. Yes, I you? have five children. Yep. Yes, I have awesome. four girls and a boy. Yeah, and so I don't think I picked up in the other times that we've talked, um, but you were doing, uh, were you directly involved in planting a church in Michigan, though, As you when you said you were planting yes. after school debts? Yes, so we worked with a, it was a, a gentleman from Puerto Rico who worked for Whirlpool, um, he was okay. uh, an, an engineer, and and every evening he w he dedicated his time to plant churches among amongst mainly Mexican migrant workers. Okay, all right, and so a lot of um, a lot of roots and connections, just kind of natural connections down in 
South America, Latin America, but where else is uh, Servant Leaders uh, at today? What other what other countries? Our are team members in? are in uh, Germany. We have one gal getting ready for Spain. We have uh, uh, team members here in the United States, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Ecuador, and Brazil. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and one of the things when we uh, uh, met Cam uh, several months ago. Um, that where we just I just felt like kind of just a natural uh, connection where we could lock shields it was just in kind of a lot of the way that you um, kind of think about church and really the church itself, the local church itself being the um, kind of uh, primary sending agency or that real real training should should take place in the church and not to be super cynical, but sometimes I feel like everybody says that, but it isn't really the way it actually. Uh, functions. And so um, just talk a little bit about what you guys are doing with uh, Servant Leaders International and just some of the ways that you guys are are equipping and trying to uh, make that a reality where the local church is a place where people can be trained and disciples can be uh, uh, matured and, and sent out. So we really truly believe that the church is central to God's mission. And we believe that the, the church is the most powerful organism on the planet. Amen. Yeah. And so what makes it the most powerful organism is that God working in and through transformed men and women who now he uses to extend the frontier of, of his kingdom. And so as we began to look at the church as church planters and began to ask questions uh, concerning the church's ability to function as that, as that uh, entity that God uses to go out and impact the world, does it have what it needs? Do we truly seek to make it that, or, or are we in a way diminishing its power? And as missionaries, we, uh, for many years, planted churches that were not able to thrive beyond uh, where we left it. And we celebrated churches that survived but didn't really reproduce. And so we began to ask ourselves, how do we get the resources, change the mentality, the culture of the local church to help it arrive at the point, no matter where it is in the world, um, that it is able to move beyond itself, uh, first out of strength. So we believe in exporting um, so many of us that were uh, moved into church planting were sent out of churches that weren't church planting churches, right? Yeah. And so they were asking us to go do things that they weren't themselves doing. And so when we would leave churches as church planters, the expectation wasn't that they would now become a church planting church. And so we created these churches that were one-hit wonders, that they were not able to go beyond what we had just done with them. And so the question was, how do we move them to that? What are the resources they need? What is the cultural shifts, the theological shifts that they need to, to accept to be able to do that? So Servant Leaders was born out of that. Uh, in the beginning stages, it was, how do we help the church uh, truly raise up and release its own people? So how do they recognize and be able to competently instruct people from new birth to Pastoral leadership, for example, how do they do that without relying on outside institutions? Because in the majority of the world, uh, the institutions either don't exist um, or they are failing at this point. Yeah. And so how do we get them those uh, resources they need and how do we walk them through the process? So we've uh, come up with uh, resources to give, whether it be educational, local church-based training, people on the ground that can help them to understand what it looks like to reproduce and create the internal uh, systems or ministries that are necessary to do that. And so we have people on the ground, we have resources in their hands to, to accomplish that. Yeah, no, awesome. And you are currently just, I don't think we haven't mentioned this yet, but just, uh, you guys are, you and your family live in Delaware. 
We currently live yeah. in Delaware, the great state yeah. of Delaware. The great state of Delaware, that, which I just found out today. Two counties. Two counties. Nobody the knows where it is. Blowing my mind, man. Just just blowing my mind. Uh, I kind of like it. Um, how many are there in Ohio? 88? 87? 88. I'm glad I even knew the number. 88. I couldn't <laughs> name more. That. I know. Holmes, Tusk. Anyway. Um, but only two in Delaware, which is cool. Uh, uh, but yeah, you guys, are ba- you guys are based out of there, so you're a lot of just communication week to week with uh people on the ground in other places but you're getting ready to go to spain here pretty yeah soon. Is so that, my right? schedule is usually eight to ten weeks out of the i'm out of the country so every eight to ten weeks okay um so i travel between all of our sites we, we function as a cohesive team we don't function as a, a a traditional mission board so we share a mission and a vision we share core values uh, we cross pollinate amongst each other to share opportunities even though we're not traditionally on the same uh, in the same place, we seek to continually be crossing paths with, with each other, sharing resources. Uh, obviously, technology through WhatsApp, through uh, Google Chat, yeah. whatever we have, we use to be able to maintain communication, to maintain the flow of uh, opportunities amongst each other. Um, and so I'm I'm usually bouncing. I go to Spain in a few weeks, then I go to Nicaragua, and then I go to Ecuador. So trying to help all of our, our groups and teams that are in these different places to function. And you, and you said you're doing that about uh, every eight to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. You go, and then how long will you go when you're overseas? Is it, it's, varies? Uh, it varies in, in what the project is, but no less than seven to 10 days. Okay, so, so bare minimum, yeah. a little over a week. Um, yeah, so what are the, I don't know, what are, your, what are the top one or two things that you're most excited about, like what you're seeing right now, um, and what are the, top one or two things that you're most frustrated by just in kind of the work that you're doing or, or challenges maybe. You sure. Might. Sure. I think right now, uh, Latin America, for example, um, is it in a spot developmentally with the gospel that they are harvest. Um, they are truly, uh, seeing young men and women really desiring to go forward and to do high, high level ministry. And so we definitely don't lack the, the, the personnel that we could be working with and training. Um, and that's just something that like just the spirit is doing right now. Are there external pressures and that? Not that those are totally mutually exclusive things, but like you're seeing, a, you're seeing like just a hunger. Yeah. Hunger. Yeah. Yeah. A hunger for, for spiritual growth. That's growth. different than, than a normal, than what you've usually seen in the past. Yeah. It, it's been growing, you know, since the nineties, I've seen it grow. Um, but it's definitely coming to a point where I think that, and people have talked about this for the last 15 years, a shift in missions focus where missionaries come from. We've definitely seen a drop here in the States. Right. Um, and then we definitely see a, an increase in opportunity in Latin America. The challenge has been with that blessing, we have more young men and women that we could be putting into internships for training. Uh, what we don't have are the means through which to get them over into the rest of the world. It's very difficult to create opportunities um, obviously financially to give them the, 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 the push forward financially to make that move. We have a young gal right now we're working with. She's a trained dentist. Um, she has her passport for the European Union, and we are uh, working with her church in Ecuador. Her church cannot leave the borders of Ecuador. They couldn't travel to investigate in other parts of the world. They're not, number one, permitted by visa restrictions, yeah. number two, financially. So we're partnering with them to help them send her to Spain, and okay. so helping to facilitate. So there, that's just one of many stories that um, we are excited about in the near future and how God is working. Sure. Yeah. And what what about some of the challenges or things that you? 
the challenge is I think we have lived in no time like now where I think very much like when you had Paul coming into uh, the, the, the period of time where the, the church was just exploding and God had unified the Roman Empire to provide freedom to cross borders and uh, his ability to go into cities without uh, passports and visas, he just crossed anywhere. Um, we've experienced that in a greater way in the last 50 years in a growing sense with globalization. The problem is with that, that's, uh, that could be coming to an end. So we're seeing that a lot of the countries are destabilizing. Um, uh, for, for example, an American presence to go into the greater parts of the, the world right now is diminishing. It's not growing. Um, and so the challenges are how do we change our role as an American church to become a bridge to help facilitate, not as the the pioneers, but the facilitators of helping uh, the culture like uh, in Latin America to be able to go into those places now. Okay. Yeah. No, awesome. And are you seeing like um, in some of these countries, like guys that are willing to just go kind of down the road or to a city over and continue and wanting to just plant churches within kind of within their home, their own country, their own uh, region? Yeah, we, we encourage, we encourage, again, going back to the idea of exporting, um, like I said, most of us were sent out into church planting, and most of the guys that I worked with had never church planted before. We don't want that to, to, to take place in those churches. We want them to export the best of them. Um, sure. We want them to bleed out their best. Yeah. And so that means that they first uh, are men and women who are conducting that level of ministry in their town, in their city, in their region, before they consider moving out. And so encouraging that, it's a little bit longer of a process, right, to help them to do that. And it takes churches that will walk alongside them. But in the long run, if we can help them bleed out their best in that way, we'll have long-term um, opportunities. Okay, well, you just uh, what, what was it that convinced you ultimately to reconsider, like, model, essentially? Something we've talked a lot about here is just, just kind of church model uh, systems, things that go on that I feel like a lot of people are a part of, but maybe don't necessarily fully understand they're a part of it. It's just everything they've known. Um, and so what was it? Was it theological commitments? Was it practical things you saw? I know those things aren't always mutually exclusive either. It sounded like you had some theological uh, convictions just about church and mission and what that is. And um, and then maybe weren't necessarily seeing that actually play out on the field. What was it? Um, I, I guess just talk a little bit more about kind of how that, how that process happened for, for you. Was it, was it individual? Was it, was it multiple people kind of, you guys are seeing this, feeling this, what were those things that. Yeah. I, I think that the, the idea of, uh, if, if you ask most guys that go into ministry and they are. Bible school trained. They went to Bible college or seminary. When they arrive at the local church level, their struggle isn't many times with theology. It's the practical application of how do I deal with people? How do I uh, work well with others? How do I manage the finances? So the practicality. So arriving on a foreign field in church planting, um, you really, and again, many who had not done this previous arrived there very ignorant of what the process is. And so you're, you know, you're feeling around in the dark trying to make this work. And so as you go through the model and you begin to see the, the gaps, you begin to see that, you know, hey, I can gather some people, but I have no clue how to train up men and women beyond basic understanding of their Christian life. Like, can I take a guy and walk him through? It's come to Christ. He's a first-generation believer. 
can I actually move him to being an elder? Can I do that? Yeah. I've never seen that. Yeah. So you begin to see these holes and, and gaps, and so you begin to ask different questions. At the high level, when we would walk away from a church, um, when I walked away from the first church that we helped plant, you know, the internet was just getting going, so communication was pretty pretty rough. But they struggled, and every time they struggled, I struggled because your heart's intertwined with people that you poured out into and you love them deeply, and you begin to see, I made some, I made some mistakes. I, I, I did some things wrong that leads you to ask different questions about, okay, is this model the right model? So, for example, in the beginning, our model, my model was the one I had seen amongst the missionaries that I worked with was the man and the money. If I can raise up the man and get the money to pay him, I can get out of there. I can turn the church over, or in their terms, they called it graduating. And then if the church was graduated because I had the man and the money, then they would celebrate if the church stood after a year. Then that was like this marker of success. And I began to think, no, the marker of success should be that church is thriving. They're they're releasing, raising up and releasing the men and women that are amongst them, and they're able to reproduce what I did with them multiple times over. That's good. Do you feel like there was anything, I don't know, unique or specific to going into some of these different contexts and trying to maybe, I don't know, start from zero, fair, like actually produce this that, um, was necessary for you to kind of see some of those things, I guess on the other side, like if you, if you have just stayed in the States and become a pastor to church, what I've experienced, do you feel, yeah. Like what, what was it about going, leaving, seeing a different context that I guess helped pull some of those things right. out? So you're, I'm, again, I, I mentioned this before, but I think that the primary purpose for us becoming involved in church planting in Latin America was, for my own progressive sanctification. That I mean, God used that field, that opportunity, that those circumstances of struggle, of tension, of whatever, to form in me a heart that would seek him. So that that couldn't have taken place for me where I was in Michigan or in sure. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so I think that God in his wisdom and his grace, he places us in positions if we're open to listen to that, where we will receive the greatest amount of care and growth from him. So I think that was evident. Yeah, it's uh, as you're talking there, I was just thinking about, I think there's a, and, and feel free to disagree with this. I'm more just wondering out loud here, but it seems that um, there's two different camps. You have guys many times that are, and this is, I want to preface this, this is going to be a tad cynical and stereotypical, so probably not fully fair, but <laughs> there's enough truth in it that it's probably <laughs> worth saying, Okay is that you have guys that are like formally trained and have the theological background education and like like no theology and stuff like that but sometimes they're just not likable like people aren't attracted to them like they're not like and I know we talked about like I agree with you like not just the man and the money like you're just attracted to a man but on some level you have to like be able to like connect with people if you're going to do if you're going to do ministry um, and so you don't have that. And then other times you have guys that are like, they just naturally kind of draw a crowd. I don't mean like a big crowd, but I just mean they're just, they're just likable. People are kind of like attracted to them, but they don't have the, um, they don't have the, uh, uh, just theological, um, uh, root system to be able to, to stand and, and to go anywhere. First of all, would you just, would you kind of agree that you kind of see those two different, sure. those, those kind of two different camps? Um, I guess I feel like 
well, I want to be careful. Like, do you feel like you saw one of those over the, over the other in in other in other in this uh, uh, Latin American context, where you had some of the guys that were more charismatic but lacked the theology? Yeah, and would that be the side that it was more that it was more bent towards, some as opposed to the guys that well, had, the, had the I would theology. definitely say relationship is influence, right? So yeah. so I think the guys that are more relational, especially in a context of a culture that is highly relational, are gonna carry more influence yeah. in people. And and I'm I shape part of the 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 shaping of my heart and my life over the years was moving away from the singularity of pastoral pastoral leadership and into shared leadership. Yeah. And, and so that so then you have compensation. You have the ability to be with people that might be way more relational and less theological yeah. and you can balance each other out and yeah. really create something distinct. Yeah. The importance of doing something as a team is, is something that we're big believers in uh, here at Mercy Hill on, on a lot of different levels. We do not do it perfectly, but we're very, very um, committed to it. Uh, I think that that's, and again, I'm just kind of wondering out loud here, but in regards to the idea of just simply the man, and the money and kind of that model. And if you've got those two things and every now and then you get uh, the unicorn that is, has the theological those, root system. Right? And then you have, uh, and the, and the, that are just likable and relational and know how to relate to people. Um, and then if you get money behind them too, and then it works and everybody goes, ah, oh, see, That's this it. is, this sure. is the model, but it's such, it's such, it's such a rare thing. And in the end it even carries with it its own dangers because there's a lot of like idolatry that comes along with it and just kind of looking uh, maybe to this one guy and to not Jesus. Um, although it's not I don't reproducible. Think, it's, it's a shelf it's, life. Right. It's not, it's not reproducible. That's the thing. Um, but I think that if you're going to have to do something reproducible, you have to have, uh, you have to truly understand some sort of a team model. Like I know just in our conversation earlier today, like we were talking, uh, or you brought this up a couple of times. We didn't really go down this rabbit trail, but like um, the phrase came up, like, is it, is it first among equals or is it just equals? You know what I mean? And I think that that's such a thing. Like, I, I get that there it can be a dynamic of first among equals. It's not bad. I think that sometimes we we kind of, we can, we can use that as sometimes like a cop-out for just not actually functioning as a team. You know what I mean? Where does like, the buck stop? Yeah, right? like, yeah like, like where does where does the buck truly stop? Or do we, um, or do we truly function as a team? Because I think everybody, you know, when you begin to have this conversation, at least um, with anybody that's actually a practitioner, like actually doing ministry, leading in a church involved in church leadership in some way everybody's quick to say oh yeah yeah we do it as a team but there's a there's a very real difference between just having that on paper or even saying that and then actually doing that um and i don't know have you how do you how have you navigated some of that how do you how do you challenge people to get it how do you how do you get that how do you flip that switch you have a magic wand right where you, yeah. you just break out and that's super complicated <laughs> i think within within the structure if you look at different countries and the, the styles of leadership that they respect the most right and and what they have flourished in, and we we mentioned this before that we try to export democracy to to countries where democracy is democracy is just not gonna yeah. flourish right so within within the understanding of how people are raised with authority and the, how the they come into the local church and view the authority of the local church um if you have examples of if you're in a country where there's a dictator and your pastor is a strong personality, you're the man and you, you've, you have the capabilities, you're a charis 
charismatic leader, you're a competent leader, you have the resources and you lead well, it's easy for people within that cultural context to get get underneath you and follow you, right? Um, But the minute you take that person and put them into a context where they have shared leadership and uh, the men that are leading the congregation are really uh, complementing each other with their gifts and abilities, then, then it becomes difficult for somebody to go, I don't really know who I'm following here. I don't know what... So it, it does get complicated. And I think within uh, our local churches uh, in the States, the principle that we push the hardest is that uh, the body principle start, starts from the top down. Mm-hmm. And so the, the leadership must uh, reflect the principles that we want the greater congregation to live in. And that is that we need each other because we complement each other with our gifts, with our talents, with our abilities, and we are stronger together, not dumber. We're not weaker. We are better. We are more capable. Yeah. Yeah. And as simple as it sounds, I think that at the heart of all that, if it's actually to be functional and really make a difference, um, it just comes down to humility, like real, just, just real practical humility and being willing to, uh, step aside at times, um, and allow other people to, uh, to use their gifts and, and, uh, calling and an ability to do that. Uh, but it's, uh, it can be tricky to to not uh, to not get sucked into a ton. I'm kind of curious just to hear I don't know all your guys thoughts on that because I do think you see I think you do a lot of times see different extremes and guys are are wired differently and so you think about um, people who are maybe more naturally gifted or bent towards just relational kind of interaction other guys who might be more academic for lack of a better term, more, you know, they're, they're kind of wired that way. Um, do you think like on, on one hand, I feel like maybe you disagree with this. Part of what we'd want to say maybe is like both, both have room for growth in that. You know what I mean? Like the guy who just, just is consumed with intellect probably needs to grow relationally and, and vice versa. But do you guys see that as, um, like appropriate, correct? Or is the, is the team, model of church leadership the fix for that or are those two things not even necessarily like mutually exclusive is it is it both and how do you think about that so if i understand your comment and the idea of synergy within the church um really the exchange so if i live in covenant with you let's talk about a covenant relationship covenant relationship at a leadership level you know, we could look at the context of David and Jonathan and go through some of the aspects there. But the idea that I'm, I'm in an, ex, an exchange with you where you are taking my weaknesses and providing your sure, strengths, yeah. right? So at the leadership model level, you are you are releasing me in my strength. You are helping me to be the man that God has truly gifted me to be mm-hmm. within the context of the church. So your your desire is that me plus you is a stronger me. Right, mm-hmm. that, that's that covenant relationship. Sure. So yeah. you're you're yeah. you're really moving me to mm-hmm. be unleashed in the giftedness and the power that God wants to do through me sure. for His people in this church. So I think that you're not pushing me into areas where you know that I'm just not gifted. Not at. good. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. if I'm if if my primary gift is, uh, let's say I, I I'm a good teacher, right, but I'm not a good preacher. But you say you mm-hmm. have to preach camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can probably pull that off sometimes. But if you make me do that every week, yeah. I'm probably not going to be as effective as you are, right? So, you, but you know that, hey, I'm really good at such and such a gifting, right? Then, then release me and encourage that within your team. Sure. 
Yeah. No, well, the thing I was thinking about with it was just, um, along with humility, just love and trust uh, that that really has to be there and the idea of self-awareness. So in the way those work together, um, as I'm just thinking about this on the fly, is just that if I'm not good at something, I need you to love me enough to tell me that I'm that I'm not that great at sure. something. Oh, and not, you know, if it's, if I'm, if I'm, in, I mean, if, again, if, if A is I'm good at it and F is I'm just failing, usually if, it, if we're an F and a D, we don't like doing it anyway because we're self-aware that we're not that great. But many times we might be a B or a C, but we think that we're an A, you know, and so we need to, th- we need people that love us enough to tell us mm-hmm. that we're, I know you think you're an A, but you're actually yeah. a C, C minus here, C plus. Um, they need to love me enough to do that because sometimes we don't always, we don't always want to do that. On the flip side of it, I also need to trust that that person loves me enough. Um, I need to trust their input that even if I like just cognitively, I'm like, no, I, I'm killing it. You know, I'm doing yeah, a great job. Right. Like I need yeah. to, you know what? Like these guys are both telling me that I'm wrong and just do it. And that's where like. I don't know, like some of the the actual trust in actually functioning as a team, I think needs to needs to be there. But if you don't have those, just those mature character qualities that the Bible calls us to, in terms of um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, of just being humble, of considering others as more important than yourself, as being willing to take uh, not just a a second look in the mirror, but like a second and a third and a fourth look, and like really you know, being willing to be honest about maybe some of the motives that are going on in your heart, then I think outwardly some of the the stuff that's on paper about like, uh, I don't know, flow charts and, and how things uh, actually, you know, uh, I can't think of the other word. Anyway, flow charts are just like, you know, structures and the way things are actually laid out. A lot of that means nothing. Well, you'd be not bored. That. You can, yeah. might be, be able to be a board, but you'll never yeah, be right. a team. Exactly right. You'll, well, never, you'll never be a body. Well, and even that is important to say. It's 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 like there's a difference between just a board and a body, or or a board and an actual functional team, or or, or family, or guys, uh, you know, in a foxhole that have each other's back. Um, you know, it's. Uh, but that's super super difficult to teach. Like I, I think that you can teach theory on that, but I think that's caught more than taught. A hundred percent, and which is where then you get into the conversation about actual discipleship, because, and this is one of the little phrases we use in our E two course. I'm not saying it's gold or that it's original with us, and it could probably be said better, but that the difference between like just discipleship and and just teaching in general um, is that is that discipleship is truth coming through relationship. Now you have an aspect of relationship in like a Sunday school class setting. So you know you go to Sunday school with somebody for a decade or two decades or more sometimes it's like there's there's some relationship there but i'm talking about something deeper than that um you know where it's truth coming through the context of real uh sit downs and transparency and uh seeing each other in not just in classroom settings but in other in other settings as well where that can as you said actually be caught rather than taught and and at the end of the day it's like anything else with values it has to just be embodied uh so to speak and if we're not trying to seeking to embody those values then it just kind of, kind of falls apart. Um, what uh, man? We're thirty-one minutes already. It's always <laughs> I always love when I uh, we overrun where we're at, and I'm like, uh, oh, we need to, we need to begin begin to land the plane. Um, but we're gonna come back here, and we're gonna we're gonna do another episode or two 
uh, with Cam and talk about uh, some more uh, of this stuff. But I just want to thank Cam for being here for this one once and um, just appreciate what he's doing. And, yeah, I've enjoyed getting to know him better. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you next time, and he'll be be joining us as well. Thank you.